The days are getting shorter, and you can feel it in the air. Yes, it's that time of year. Pumpkin is finally back at Dunkin'. It's the cozy you've been craving all summer long, now in your cup at Dunkin'. Pick up all of your pumpkin favorites, like the signature pumpkin spice iced latte, or a pumpkin iced coffee, and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins. Sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season. Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. What's old Papa John turning? 70 years old, but not until the end of September, actually, but because we have my brother's wedding, it's all, um, there's lots of family in the place, you know? All right. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people hung around off the wedding, so we got a little sort of, not totally impromptu, but a sort of slightly ramshackle, a roast and a big swine, you know? Ah, roasting a big swine. Roasting up a pig, going to eat some pig with some apple, probably in some bread rolls an apple in the mouth an apple i don't know if there's an apple in the mouth of said swine but there may be i mean i wouldn't rule that out i, mean, I feel like you i feel like you should that fe- that feels like a very british thing to do yeah it does feel sort of like uh, some sort of like oldie timey sort of archaic right isn't it well that's it's a roast a swine put an apple in its mouth yeah and um yes uh, the first fall of the orchard put it in its mouth um, uh, so maybe, yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's also because close to swine, you can feed the 5,000 um, to completely savage and biblical allegory there. Um, and there's, I think, a whole load of people turning up, you know. So, yeah, we'll be raising a glass to uh, Big Bad Bob, as he's sometimes been known by some of my brother's friends. Big, Big Bad Bob. Big Bad Bob. Big Bad Bob. Well, the happiest of birthdays to old Bob. Bobby John, Robert. big bad Bob's there. Robert. No, Robert to John. Robert Llewellyn John Robert. being his full name. He doesn't have 87 middle names like you do? No, he only gave me, um, yeah, he gave me the three middle names, but he only got one for himself. But it's a pretty good one. I mean, it's Llewellyn, W-E-W-E-L-L-Y-N, which in many respects is almost as long as or sounds like three names. Mm-hmm, yeah. So you could argue that that one name is like Whitman, our dear beloved American poetic um, forebearer, contains multitudes. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, it makes, uh, yeah. every time that I hear that name, it makes me think of uh, No Country for Old Men. Yep. Llewellyn. Oh, where did you say No Country for? I can't. I forgot that. Yeah, the main character is Llewellyn. Ah, shit. And they also that means the Coen brothers have a bit of a thing for the name Llewellyn because, of course, they also did inside. Davis. Yeah, that's but right. I think, um, but I think they spell it differently. Yeah, Lewin Davis. Lewin yeah. or Llewellyn. Like, yeah. and well, part of it's I guess the accent and no country yeah. men, but it's definitely Llewellyn. Yeah, yeah, and Lewin? it's inside Lewin, Lewin Davis or Lewin Davis. Lewin. Lewin. Without the extra um, E double L. Is that double a double uh, L E W E double L Y N? Is Lewin Davis? Is or is? I, mean, I guess yeah, Davis. That's a very Welsh name. So I guess. Yeah, it must still be uh, like a derivation. I mean, it's got to be with a double L. I mean, how can it not be? I don't believe Cohen is a Welsh name. Cohen, I believe mm-hmm. it's probably oh. not. Although, um, as my dad, uh, my dad once, I think, I, I hope I'm not taking this story in vain, 
but he once went for a job interview and he got the job and uh, the job he worked for a long time for a company that um, helped build a business development in East London called Canary Wharf which is a bit like sort of world financial centre type thing down in East London he worked for the company that helped develop that back in the day and the guy who ran it was a the guy who ran that company was called Paul Reichman and he was a or he is a uh, um, orthodox Hasidic Jewish man mm-hmm. and very devout and used to run the company along those lines as in like when sundown came on Friday everyone who worked for that company Shabbat you know, yeah Shabbat so even if you were on um you know, a building site in East London and you came from the Isle of Dogs and you were like laying bricks and sun went down in winter at 3pm or whatever, you know, you had to go home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One was very happy about that. Anyway, but when he interviewed for that job, um, I think my dad uh, made what many might think might be a slightly um, risque joke, if I'm remembering it correctly. I'm not taking it out of turn. But um, Reichman, I, I gather, was a very serious individual, a serious character and uh, got a big gig mild man stepping up it's a long time ago now end of the 80s or mid 80s or something and um, asked him uh, uh, something about whether it was okay for him to be working in a company that in certain certain ways followed um, orthodox Jewish law so for example the Friday um, you know what's it kosher um, principles Mm -hmm. you know in certain aspects of business practice and my dad's response I think was to make joke that he was Welsh, so of course he knew what that meant. I think um, uh, Reichman didn't really know what he was talking about and asked him, what the hell are you talking about? And my dad, I think, I think his answer was that, well, of course, the Welsh and the Jews are very similar because they're both lost, wandering tribes. And I think there was like a, uh, a weighty pause, I gather. And, um, yeah, probably and then so. I think, then I think Reichman burst out. I think, as the story goes, like Reichman burst out into laughter for the first time and cracked a smile in the time in the entire interview. And then um, old man Big Bad Bob John got the job. So there you go. There Big you go. Bad Bob. You know, speaking of, of Welshness, this is kind of a pointless story because so I, I think it. the point was that maybe Cohen isn't. You never know. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think my dad's point was that broadly, maybe. The uh, historic Jews and the Welsh are maybe not as far afield as um, people believe they are. You know? See Basque. See Basque. See Basque. Yeah. Uh, you know that dude Rostam that I like so much? Yeah. He was in uh, Vampire Weekend or was. Oh, yeah. I just I watched an interview with him yesterday just speaking of Welsh stuff. And uh, there's a song called Gwan, G-W-A-N. And uh, yeah, Guan, and uh, it's this really, really beautiful song. Melody's real pretty, and apparently he wrote it because I guess I think he went to Columbia. I think him and Ezra is that the other guy? Yeah, Ezra Koenig. Yeah, I think they both went to Columbia. I think. Um, anyways, he said. Yeah, they did. He was like, yeah, when I was in school, um, they our school had this really great music library, and I used to listen to a lot of Welsh folk music. And there was Ooh. some, it, it was something close to Guan. It, it wasn't that exactly, but it was something close to it. It was some old Welsh folk song. And he was like, I listen to these melodies all the time. And ever since college, I wanted to figure out a way to use them. Um, and so he writes this song. It's, you know, it's very, do you know like the uh, the Vampire Weekend sound, Howl? Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. I don't know I mentioned this before, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, you know, it's just it's clearly like very modern thing that they do a lot of production a lot of stuff but apparently the whole song is uh, based off of this old welsh he was like yeah i just literally took the melody and like plugged it in you know to all this other crazy percussion and 
all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, Guan is like a take on whatever the Welsh title is. Yeah, so well, the um, uh, that sounds deeply possible. And the first thing that springs to mind is the, the valley behind the uh, mountain where the village is called the Gwine, G-W. Oh, maybe, maybe that's what it was. It was something really uh, close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, Gwine, Gwine. I mean, I don't know. But I can't think of the top of my head a song that, that, I, that has the title uh, Gwine. I think G W A N is an old or Middle English word too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I just I thought I, I watched that interview yesterday and I was like, oh, there goes a nice little Welsh tie-in that because this guy's, I think, Rostam is Arabic, I think, um, at least like a, a lot of the. I mean, his record titles are typically in. Or at least this newest one was written in Arabic. I think he's Arabic. Let's um, see. I'm gonna. But I'm gonna Guan, talking. I'm gonna look it up. Guan in Welsh, the word G W A N means weak, apparently. Oh. Um, huh. accounts. Yeah. Then we have the the Guan is a valley. Also, the first thing that makes me think, being obviously my London connections as well as uh, as a slang for go on or going, as in what what's going on with yeah. Wagwan. 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 Yeah. That's yeah. You, in, wait, I'm, that's like a that's like a Jamaican thing or a Caribbean thing. So yeah, it's yeah, all about, you, find, you find you find it all over London now. Like, yeah, well, you have for a long time. The kids still use it, so to speak. But I remember hearing it a lot. Yeah, the um, the, uh, the 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 Rasta guys on my block always like. Well, if if I can get them to talk to me, they'll say that and say Wagwan. Wagwan, yeah. Wagwan. What's going on? I think it means. I think yeah. so. But they, uh, um, I often think of that when I go to Guanas. Yep. If someone goes, let's go to Guanas, and I always just think Wagwanas. Iranian, ah, there you go. So Persian, but he, he's I mean, Batmanglish. A lot of that stuff is in. He's got uh, Batman in his last name, which is pretty dope. Batmanglish. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, a lot of his stuff is like is written in Arabic mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, huh, interesting. All right, there you go, Rostam, if you're listening. In Arabic, but he's Iranian, so it could be Farsi as well. Well, it's it. The stuff that I've seen is Arabic. Because uh, Farsi looks kind of like Arabic, but it's it's a little it's different, um, different looking. Yeah, I'm looking, but at it's it right pretty now. close. Uh, well, also just to hop back to um, what we were just saying about uh, the name Fluin it, uh, and Fluenin, it does have the same root. Um, in flu means double L E W in Welsh means lion. Oh, so, huh. yeah, yeah, lion. Um, the watchword for lion is, and um, and there's, I think, just a variety of since the medieval period. I think there's just been a variety of names. Isn't it interesting off, that like from that, you know? Isn't it interesting that there's like ancient languages like Welsh that have words for lion? Yeah, isn't that mm. weird? Why? Because mm. uh, well, they, 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 they knew of them. Yeah. Yeah, Romans brought, uh, yeah, Romans yeah, brought lines all over the place. That's true. Yeah, imagine the Romans. That was, that's the Roman, the Roman the Roman thing to do. Go to a place, bring a line there, <laughs> feed Christians to. Yeah, it. or you know, just like we have this. Yeah, well, well, the King the, Richard the Lionheart, of course, yeah. as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's true. I wonder how the like, you know what the, being you know, an the real answer animal, is. You know? Ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. That's yes. how. That's yeah. the only way ancient peoples knew about anything that they didn't have direct access to. And that's my thing. I mean, yeah. we talked about this before. How you weren't uh, present for this, but we were yeah. talking in one of our group chats about why, uh, you know, a lot of Celtic peoples, with the Welsh included, have very the, the Welsh specifically 
have very interesting uses of the alphabet and why they think things do certain things. And I think that just like some Romans showed up, gave like a quick afternoon crash course to some Welsh people in how the alphabet works. And they're like, I think we got it from here. Let's yep. like, let's, let's move on. Like, we know it. Yep. We, we know it that? now. Is yeah. that a genuine thing? No, I just think that I'm just saying, I don't think there's any recorded that I'm aware of recorded history as to why certain, uh, why there's so many consonants in your, in your dear language. But, I think that that's but probably um, the it, explanation is from my thing. It's like, all right, yeah. we got it. We figured it out. <laughs> I think it. I think it is. Well, there could be um, like linguistic connections. Are so my friend Catel, who's a singer-songwriter called Catel Kynick, lives in Cardiff. She's half Welsh, half Breton. She speaks Welsh and Breton, being from Brittany in the west coast of France. Uh-huh. And she can speak both languages fluently. And if you speak fluent Welsh to someone who speaks fluent Breton, they will understand what you're saying. Equally, if you speak fluent Breton, huh. someone who speaks fluent Welsh will understand you. So I think it's a bit more complicated in terms of like the, the provenance of like that form of Celtic or Gaelic language because Welsh is very different to Scots Gaelic mm-hmm. and um, very different to Irish Gaelic, I think is what they call it. But uh, yeah, the provenance of it, I, th- I think it's older than I mean. When were the Romans in the UK? God, it's like history one hundred and one, isn't it? Uh, so, um, the, the, they landed in or? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they landed in like the 60s BCE, somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. Maybe even, but maybe even a little bit before Hell that. Yeah, man. Time I mean, to catch were, the stones. That's they what were I'm talking about, huh? Time yeah. to catch the stones. Yeah, right in time to catch the stones. Hell the, yeah, the, the Stonehenge. Yeah, uh, yeah. So there's definitely writings from. I mean, everything we know about druids and stuff like that now comes from like. Pliny or like different Roman historians mm. of the time mm. the, that they're barbaric barbarism yeah so I'm like sure that's why we don't know anything some, yeah. that's why we don't know a lot like realistic about druids is because it was being well, written by yeah. uh, very biased sources well there's some well, there, there's uh, certainly I think in the Welsh bardic tradition there's ideas that in terms of oral histories or certain poetry from that era that there's sort of a uh, you know, like a more of a free-form heritage of other ideas about what the sort of Druidic tradition was as opposed to what like, Roman historians thought of it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess as to how historically verifiable those things are, that's a different question, I think. But I think And it really clearly wasn't about, monolithic either because there were no, people, no, yeah. you know, like there were so many different tribes and like micro-kingdoms across the British Isles that like, you know, like you said, there's there's a clear difference between like the Scot like Scottish Gaelic and Irish Gaelic and all yeah. of these different things to wear. But to you know, like the Romans at the time, everybody was just the everybody east of France the, the was the or west of France was just the Gauls, yeah, yeah. you know, Gauls, yeah, or Celtic yeah, peoples thing. or etc. Because yeah. they're like you know yeah. the people who paint their faces yeah, blue, the, the woad like, guys, yeah, that do that the stuff, woadies. yeah, the woadies, the woadies. But when you're on the woadies, um, so when you go on tour, you have a lot of woadies with you to take care of it. Mm-hmm. It's all these they, woadies. Um, that sounds so woadies. English. Yep. <laughs> woadies, yeah. So like, have you ever seen Weird Man and I? And also, I guess well, you see, you see, but you've 90s seen, hip-hop. Um, you've yeah. seen Wayne's World. You've seen what Wayne's World too, haven't you? Wayne's yeah. World. Yeah, you know the Ralph Brown character who's like the English roadie. who's kind of mm-hmm. it's, a re- it's a rehashed version of a character person with man and I. But that's like the archetypal sort of roadie character, you know, who speaks a bit like that. It's like too much weed, taking too much acid, you know, call your boats, man. Um, in with man and I, the character's called Danny the Dealer, 
um, the archetypal Wahudi, Rodi, I should say. Anyway, getting back to the provenance of the language, I just know that when I do, like, when I look up certain words while I've been writing and you see, it, you know, in terms of etymology, there's often, for the oldest words in the English language, or even when I look up certain parts of Welsh and not, there's this interesting, you often get this period of history whereby there's a, there's like a sort of fundamental root of a word you know, but then it sort of splits off into similar sounding words that come from Norse, Old German, Old English, and then Latin. You yeah. Know? And then the word that's still vaguely being used today. This is not always. I've just noticed that a lot, you know, is a sort of like weird, like evolved sort of either they've retained, there's just like a key component of it that is somehow been brought from all of those different attributes or very often you're like you'll get a word which is seen to come from old norse which is then the sound of it is when is, is has become phoneticized within a latin alphabet structure that yeah. actually comes from that part of the world or some such do you know what i mean yeah from uh denmark or or the uh yeah. the saxony yeah. or anywhere the uh the jute the jutlands the jutlands yeah exactly. whatever it is like, i mean uh, the first example of things to mind is that one when i've been researching the play i'm just still desperately trying to write um is uh that the origination of the word window is um is norse and um and it comes from but you wouldn't pronounce it in the same way you know and the spelling mm-hmm. of the norse when translated into an anglicized old norse into an alphabet and the Anglicized alphabet is like V-I-N-D-R and then A-U-G-A, Vindra Alga, which so window, mm-hmm. Vindra Alga, which means wind eye. Means the eye of the wind. Nice. Eye of the wind. Is, I like that. Isn't that great? That you have an eye in order to be able to see the wind. I guess mm-hmm. probably what you knock an eye in, in a wall. Yep. In order to be able to like witness the Or to let the wind through. Or to let the wind through, even. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That maybe you shut it and then you open it in order for the wind. I like the way that it, it's like it is both sight, yeah. but also like the like an eyelet that you let things in, which is also mm-hmm. what sight is, I guess, in essence, isn't it? That you, things you yeah. received and then you turn it into that. But it's, yeah, like, I mean, it's just like, a good example of like old meaning that has translated, but the original sound is somehow quite different, spelled differently. You know, B-I-N-D-R is very different. You know, it's like Vindra. Mm-hmm. It's become just a win, you know. It's like there's that subtle change over time, but somehow, and the uh, somehow the, the sense of it has also somehow been retained. Yeah, language flow, especially back then, because they're, and it, you know, especially in Western Europe, is really interesting because of, uh, and I guess specifically on the British Isles is interesting because of how many different people came in and through and like what the. Uh, you know like it just it's interesting to see like what is the you know quote-unquote original uh manifestations of these languages and stuff because like where did those languages even come come from and you're you know talking about like welsh and breton being like Mm. similar i'd be interested to know i I should ask my friend julien julien frevy uh or something like that I, i i can never pronounce his name right he's french but he's from Brittany. I should ask him if he speaks any Breton. Yeah, I mean, it's quite... I mean, I think a lot of people do still speak it there. Um, I think probably just as many people... Um, speak Welsh. Speak Who's, Welsh, you know, which yeah. is much more... But I'm not sure if they have... I think one of the bigger problems, though, is I think my friend Cattell was telling me, and obviously anyone who's listening, and obviously our many Breton listeners will correct us if they're wrong, but um, I 
think that they, the the French are far more colonialist about holding on to the majority language. You know that Welsh Wales is a principality within the UK. Scotland still has its own law system. It's still, in many respects under the monarchy. You know, in terms of what constitutional law in the UK, Wales is a principality of England, even though culturally it's a separate country and, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. But a language is in no way considered to be secondary and according to law. You know, mm-hmm. it's, and there's a, we have a devolved assembly in Wales, which is still a bit less powerful than the dissolved assembly government in Scotland, which still, um, you know, governs its own legal system and the like. But, you know, you learn Welsh in school up until 16 here, and it's compulsory for all children. So there is a... Um, you know, whereas in France, I think with Breton, it, it doesn't, it still isn't recognised as mm-hmm. a language within the country, as in within a principality of the country. And I yeah. think they also, I think also the French government have done, made efforts to um, take back, like to, to try and um, reduce sense or a sense of separate nationality within Brittany by by shortening the border of the supposed area of Brittany. So they claimed one of the main Britain, Britain towns, you know, um, and made it no longer a part of Brittany or something like that, I think, rather weirdly. So, like, mm-hmm. the learning of, the, of Breton is still, I think, um, you know... Not what, as what prevalent or it's, not as officially it's not sanctioned. It's, it's done, yeah, it's, done, it's not officially sanctioned. I think, you know, it's still mm-hmm. done. You can learn it, but and it comes through family and things like that and i think you probably can learn it in school should you wish but it doesn't have sort of an official it's more like learning a foreign language instead of being a part of the culture of the place yes exactly officially officially recognized it's not as officially recognized yeah Yeah, they don't want it they don't want it to be you know yeah the the french are i mean like we've seen that uh i've seen that you know in two examples recently of like that french ambassador getting really mad at trevor noah for saying that, and I understand, so his point is, you know, Trevor Noah said that, you know, that Africa won the World Cup in, like, a joking manner, obviously, because, like, so many of the French national team were originally from, like, their parents were probably originally from Africa, or it's, a, you know, like, all of these things, and they were all, you know, they all spoke French, but he's like, no, they were, they were French, and, you know, he's like, that's what the, you know, the opposition, like, the nationalist party would say is that they're not French because only white people are French or something. But to deny mm-hmm. that, to deny their, you know, what Trevor Noah's point is like, you can't deny their Africanness. And it's like, also, how did they come to speak French and like their family moved to France and like all these things? Like, oh, they're from a colony that they're from a French colony. It's like, why do so many people speak French or English in Africa? It's like, oh, okay, this mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. Um, it, it's kind of like a, uh, but in the other example is uh, we just got back from Montreal a few days ago mm-hmm. and they are fucking serious about it. I mean, oh, yeah. like including to like changing the law, like some like a, a restaurant got in trouble for like having pasta as they're like, you know, written because like everything has to be mm-hmm. French first. And it's just like, but it's just an Italian thing, man. That's oh, just yeah. what it's called. Like. Yeah, they're serious about yeah. it. And it's kind of, uh, it's kind of well, it's, weird to me, especially in Canada, because it's like, this is, you know, like we have to protect, because they were, you know, didn't want to be encroached on by the rest of English-speaking Canada. It's like, we have to protect our, like, French heritage. And like, okay, but like, what about the First Nation? So like, you're just, you're being oppressed for speaking French, 
but like you are not the first people here. This is a colony. Nope. Just remember that. Like, yep. yeah, totally. And why, why, why are we sweating speaking like yeah. Ojibwe? Yeah, you know. Yeah, like. Well, it, it's one of those really weird things that's arising at the moment, more generally, isn't it? Because I think more the more time I spent in America, you realise, you know, the intensity of the sort of political debate that's going on there about cultural identity at the moment, especially that which obviously perpetually in the States revolves around issues of race mm-hmm. and, um, you know, obviously mainly seen in, in the prism of um, black ideas of black blackness and whiteness uh, in terms of the heritage of slavery, etc. You know, that, you know, I think that's probably a fair, you know, broad description of the sort of fault lines. Um, but it's interesting then, you know, that intersecting that to use the very, uh, you know, sort of most popular of uh, academic uh, terms, uh, and you know, popular sociological terms to you know intersects very broadly with something in America, which is that it, in the states you kind of define nationhood as a you know the idea of a nation of immigrants, and the Constitution frames these ideas of equality for all people, you know, freedom of religion. They're very broad ideas, you know, where it's kind of very unique as a nation, as we talked before, in terms of framing itself in terms of that sense of newness, you know. Yeah. And um, and uh, I'm very interested how that American ideal, I think, in, certainly in the states, I think a lot of people just presume as, that that should be the ideal everywhere else as well, because mm-hmm. I think it is a very beautiful idea, one that I feel like is one that is worth subscribing to or at least trying to fight for, you know, certainly from a personal point of view. But certainly I think in the States you get this sense where people presume that that is the same ideal or constitutional idea or what, you know, elsewhere. But, that, but of course that's not necessarily the case. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, you know, perceived ideas like in France, for example, I think it's a good example talking about France, that, you know, there's a, the struggle for cultural diversity there is probably a very, has a different framework that, like in the UK or other ex-large colonial countries, is one that's probably framed by colonialism in a very specific way, as opposed to the dynamic that you have in the States. And there's lots of overlap, obviously, but, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. more dominant in that, in that respect. And, you know, in France, I'm sure it's more defined by ideas that came about as a result of the French Revolution, which was mm-hmm. similar to the States, you know, decline in monarchy. And then the idea being that um, in the Republican ideology in France, there's that sense of all citizens are equal, and then, you know, no individual groups exercising extra rights that, 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 than that, and that, that sort of a quintessential Frenchness is the sort of thing that needs to be upheld. Yeah, that's what, what he was arguing. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Exactly. And that's in itself presents its own challenges because then people go, well, what about the autonomy of the Basques or of the uh, or the Breton? But then you get this sort of rather broad orthodoxy of this sense of no, but the quintessential Everybody Frenchness is, French. is the yeah. thing. Exactly, everyone's French. Yeah, and that's the thing to be upheld. And, and that was his thing. Is like Frenchness. we don't have hyphenated people in France. In France, we don't have just, you know you know French. you have African Americans. We just are French, and it's like yeah. that's a that's to me seemingly a uh, it's like I understand that it, you're coming from like a noble place in there, but that is a misguided and uninformed view of of well, hi- just world history yeah or, and, and just un, un, simply like unfair yeah it's just not fair it's just like, like well but if i didn't have any yeah it's like if you didn't have any stake which people who are colonized typically don't and it's like wouldn't that wait now i'm just french yeah like well, it's curious, though, isn't it, though? Because for me, that sounds very similar to what people are required or what is expected of people when they come to America. You know, there's a sort of broad expectation that you become American, you know, that, that, yeah. that you buy yeah. into the ideals of a united humanity of America, and that's a beautiful ideal. And uh, I find it quite persuasive, the idea. I mean, it's very tricky, isn't it? Because like, mm-hmm. I don't want yeah. my own personal heritage. It lives within me, and it's aligned within my own specific place. But it depends how much you want to sort of sublimate yourself or... 
find a, a, a newness of yourself in something maybe which feels more uniting than saying you're defined by previous principles, or whether it's possible even to retain a bothness of that. Maybe yeah. it's more about how you, how much time you want to spend, project, you know, projecting or defining yourself mm-hmm. in indifference. In so I think that's maybe more the key thing. Yeah. yeah. And I would say in a weird way, I mean, obviously, America has tons and tons of cultural uh, of like cultural nationalism problems and 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 we're and there are a lot there's a big strain of that but i do think that there is a at least culturally more room for being uh a hyphenate like being an american being an american and proud of being an american but not having to forget about something you know another part Hmm, of your uh you know like saint patrick's day is very big here you know what i mean like there Hmm. is a celebrate for people who aren't even irish like they're in same thing with you know obviously yeah like in different (laughs) ways like you can do uh you know there are obviously lots of problematic things about this but like cinco de mayo or Mm -hmm. something like that like there are celebrations of which to me seems like something that and i'm not sure about the uk but uh i would probably assume it's similar that seems like something that is not present in like places like france or european yeah. places that are that are that have a, a longer history of their country being a thing or they have a different national identity or cultural everybody you know ver- assimilation type hmm. culture of like you know that we have like and look in new york like there's Chinatown, there's little Italy, there's Mm -hmm. all of these things where it's like, this is like, yes, like no one who's Italian American is going to say I'm not American, but they are definitely proud of being Italian. Like they're unbelievably proud of their five generations. Yeah. Even if they're great, great grandparent. I mean like Marcus, you know what I mean? Like everybody is proud of being Italian. Who's Italian. Yeah. But I think, I think what I'm trying to get at is that in a very intriguing way and, um, it's just, I think it's just, it's, an object, it's just like an idea of interest to me. You know, it's not so I'm always kind of struck by it. But I think within the states, it has a unique currency because it is a nation that was founded in relatively recent history by the idea of sort of newness and immigration. And obviously that mm-hmm. involved a certain amount of wiping out of an original peoples, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. but, um, but the principles of that nation, if you're taking them as they currently are, have kind of enshrined that idea in many respects, you know? Yeah. And um, as well as in the things which maybe aren't constitutional, but have kind of become the sort of, you know, maybe the more sort of, you know, the sort of defining myths or legacies, things like, you know, your huddled masses on the Statue of Liberty, stuff like that. Yeah. Sort of for many people define the idea of the country. And I think it's very... I think actually in many respects it is very uniquely American, which gives it an extra weight given in the sort of the nature of the current battles and debates that you can mm-hmm. found to be had in the country. And yeah. as to whether you want to prescribe that in the same way to other countries and whether that is appropriate or not, I think it's kind of an interesting question. It is, I yeah. certainly, you know, I, I, I certainly kind of feel like broadly those principles are something I also believe in anywhere I am. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I kind of... But I think then on a deeper level, like senses of place, like and what nationality is, I, I think I find increasingly, uh, for me, I, I always feel myself it is about place and the people that are there. And then probably in some fairly indeterminate way, you can't quite nail down a sense of what that geography, like the psychological geography that it gives you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that sort of spirit of that, which is something almost, it's not unwordable, but it certainly isn't, it's probably broader than a sort of hyphenated idea of nationality. Do you know what I mean? There's something, mm. if you're born in London and you grow up in London, no matter where your heritage is, you probably have that heritage within you, you know, laced in your DNA mm-hmm. and 
in like certain things will probably you know just in probably just pure biological fact like you know move you resonate you in maybe slightly different ways to people from other parts of the world but also there's a sense of the the spirit of that place just from being there that will come to define you and i think in the states that sense of that place is obviously the enormity of the the land you know what i mean and whatever that is uniquely there but also entwined with that sense of enormous sort of multiplicitous humanity and i think that is the that is the factor which maybe in some respects is uh, a defining difference between it and other larger democracies in the rest of the world. And it's, you know, seeing this, the nature of that American um, belief system, the idea of that sort of multiplicity, new nationhood, things I find very moving and positive, finding room for that idea in other societies is, I think, what we're probably, I think certainly in the UK, you know, with Brexit, that's a very, that's a very good example of that, you know, of what, how people are resistant to that idea and some people are very positive i'm very positive towards that idea mm-hmm. but you know I, I i i find myself struggling to enunciate an argument sometimes against people saying you know what you hear sometimes in the brexit debate which is like i'm all favor of people coming in but you know what what does it mean to erode national identity and i, I get very flummoxed by that because i just think national identity is kind of a place and if people are here they'll just become a part of that you know yeah, but other yeah. people find that you know, and that's just that's the nature of welcoming people. Do you know what I mean? And then they become a part, and they let their guards down. We share a bit of them, and I share a bit. Mm-hmm. Of, you know what I mean? That's yeah. empathetic well, existence. Do you? Like, I struggle to. I struggle to like to. And guess what I'm trying to say. You know, when some people, what is the? How far can can you judge an individual national identity on the terms of the one that you have yourself from another? Place, like, you know what I mean? Well, like, I don't know. What are the universal them. principles of that? It's really I struggle with that a lot. Yeah. Ask the Welsh people how they felt about you know, the Romans and then the Angles and the Saxons and exactly. then the Vikings the history, and then the Normans. Yeah, totally, totally. Exactly. It's a very weird idea. Because yeah. I definitely sit on that. I mean, I just can't see anything. It's funny, probably this makes me like an extraordinarily wild, wet, woolly liberal, but I just I just find myself thinking about it in a far wider, broader terms, which mm-hmm. is about the evolution of humanity. Do you know what I mean? And all over history, people have endlessly gone well, you, and gone and bred and changed and grown and these things are malleable and flexible and those things need to be collapsed i think probably in the long run but yeah it's a tricky position to try and find a to try and say that in the here and now of policy do you, know well, what do, I mean? do you think it's fair to <laughs> say that, that it all that, collapse my friends do, do you think <laughs> it's fair to say that most like that this is a problem that or it's a a, a, a situation that is particular to like colonizing nations because I would, I would say so. Like I don't think about, yeah. I don't think about that. Like I don't know, uh, what's uh, Japan or something. Like I don't think so much about like all right. If I was to move, or like say you know someone from India was to move to J- Japan, would they consider themselves like in general Indian, Japanese Indian? I don't Indian, know. Japanese. No, they're totally, really, really, really interesting question. I mean, you know, it's I like, think, would Japanese people consider them Japanese? Yeah, like, I, I wonder you know, if this is particular to things like, you know, places like England, the United States. Japan's Canada, probably maybe, a bad France. example to use for as a non-colonizing nation. Japan, oh yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> uh, Mongolia. <laughs> that? Wait, nope, that's, that's also a bad, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but you know, but so many of these things obviously are just seen from our very, very specifically sort yeah. of Western power dynamic. In I think they were colonizing. Not, know, that, uh, it's been a long time. Well, but it, it, not conquering, colonizing. Yeah. Specifically colonizing. Yeah. I think Japan, was Japan colonizing? I don't think well, so. They it depends conquering. on what you mean 
Well, I mean, I don't know how pretty hefty, pretty hefty shit went down. I would have to. I would feel. I was gonna say. I would feel more comfortable letting a Chinese person answer this. Well, that's what I'm. I'm asking the question. I don't. I don't know anything about Japanese history. I'm just. I'm trying to pick somewhere that culturally is very insular, like like Japan being. Yeah, I mean, Japan's yeah, pretty... Yeah, I mean, this, is, this raises, I think, oh, what, what Peter's nudging yeah. towards, is that it just raises a much larger question about, like, perspectives about these things, and where, whereby we may feel like we have... This is probably the same the world over. It's about local perspectives. You feel like your perspective is probably a universalist one, yeah. based mm-hmm. on the principles that you've grown up with, and you go, surely... And I think, you know, in the States, it's gone partly along with that idea of American exceptionalism. I think probably there's a... And that, I imagine, is something that has been given... Like some sort of nasty poisonous gift from, like, from like, yeah. the UK in some respect, you know. Um, it, uh, but you know, it, it feels over there like it's sort of promoted or kind of engaged with as a sort of a, a universalist perspective, partly because the ideas of things like all people created equal, because it happened, stuff, all that stuff can, yeah. in many respects, you can feel like that is a sort of moral, a broad moral code that feels good to live by. But mm-hmm. it is, but you know, your our ideas are. You know that which is other, or who is um, less or more privileged, all these things, you know, are very defined by the nature of our societies, and for good reason. But as to whether those are considered, like you say, Pete, the same in other countries, yeah, well, they probably that's... are in relation to our dynamic. But you know, I... I certainly can think of friends of mine who spent time in other places around the world, and you know, just said in some of those countries, though, like, yeah, you know, um, I... I feel a bit like without having to back up with the stories myself, you know, that. Certain forms of racism, for example, are just considered to be a given. You know? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that's you know what, what I, I mean. I like, just... That's not to, not to say that I think that's a good thing. That sounds horrific to me. But it's just interesting that the dynamic in those countries is not within yeah. the same structures of the way we think about it. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. that's that's what I'm trying to figure out. Is like, do we think that 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 this thing of like you know multi uh, uh, multicultural identity or or whatever is specific to more colonizing nations. Yes, I think it is. It has to be, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I think so too. But I was just saying, mo- modern colonizing nations. Yeah, yeah as in, because I think we're also looking yeah. at all of this through the lens of things that have happened post like 1750 in the in that sure. in a well, Eurocentric yeah, yeah, type yeah, view. Yeah. Because I think that there is a, um, it's like no. Do I think that people who, someone from India who moves to Japan, thinks of himself as like a Jap, an Indian, Japanese, Indian, Indian, Japanese? No, I yeah. think he probably thinks of himself as it's Indian, Indian, and I think that's what I would, Japanese people also think of himself as Indian. I would think because so too. I think Japan has a very rigid. I think this is like kind of what we're saying, especially with like France in 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 a. Fred, uh, there's varying levels of unfairness of. Like I think Japan, I think people in Japan probably have a more rigid idea of what being Japanese, Japanese is, yeah, sure. uh, and yeah. I think that France, maybe potentially more race based than yeah. culturally based. I think that, and probably both. Yeah. And I think that France has, um, although I mean, if you look at like historically, there were uh, there were black samurai, there was a British sure. samurai, there yeah, were yeah. all these, you know. But, but I mean, I think that they probably have a pretty. Um, you know, more, it, it just is a more homogenous society. Uh, yeah. Partially because they were very isolationist for a very yeah, long time. Totally. Uh, well, that's a, the Japanese yeah. is a complicated one to choose. Yeah. I think, but, but maybe that's the point is that like, are more places like, like Japan than like America or, or England. 
well in some, way. some of it's hard so japan is probably more specific is is more su- comparable to some place to a place like england or any of the western european countries like france and spain mm-hmm. because they've had a national they've had an idea maybe not even national but they've had an identity as being japanese for so long yeah where you have um you know places in south america and the middle east and africa that were just drawn up as countries post-colonialism to where you have horrible genocides happen because these tribes were never got along for their history of their existence and now you're like you're a country now it's like what we are like no i mean there's i was listening to a podcast about idi amin and like you know, there's all those like rumors of him being a cannibal and mm-hmm. stuff like that. None of that comes from anything like any proof. That just came from the southern tribes in yeah. Uganda saying that like the people rival, in the northern rivalism. tribes are, are cannibals. Yeah. Like, yeah, and totally. they do blood magic and well, stuff I, like, like that. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think more broadly is the idea of, uh, you know, I mean, in terms of Western, you know, the societies that we live in, that broadly, you know, for a very long period of history now, have been a position of power, dominance, uh, economic, and world stage you know and, mm-hmm. and probably you know uh, taking advantage of other countries wealth and um, as a result of you know older paradigms of, of, of power and that being acceptable or not you know you can stretch that back for as long as you want into old ideas of sort of you know the divine right of kings taking what's theirs and all these things do you know what i mean mm-hmm. the nation has been changed and certainly i think in the uk you know like the idea it was after the second world war that a lot of people from the now ex or our colonies of the british empire were invited you know mm-hmm. yeah Many people have died. You know, we need you to come here. But it doesn't mean the people were particularly welcome when they arrived, you know. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, uh, you know, and obviously there's a longer legacy in the UK in terms of the slave trade itself, you know, ended under the um, campaigning of Wilberforce, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so the heritage of these things is long and complex. But, you know, that, that idea of, I mean, I certainly feel in the UK that, you know, the necessity of, of that history for me i've been uh, it's resonant the idea of there being an accounting for that in terms of uh, finding a space within a you know that's something like the commonwealth becomes very interesting in that respect you know that some people hate it because it feels like a colonial afterthought and mm-hmm. i can understand that argument very easily yeah. but i also one i also then wonder about the idea of is there a way to you know it's that old idea of looking history in the face uh, somehow communally empathetically and it sounds broad and woolly but you know in the specifics is probably on an individual basis but if you can do that together to find a way that you can find a communality then going forward and i feel there's a yeah. there's probably a value and a worth in that because actually those places were a part of a a, a british national identity at some point mm-hmm. and that there's mm-hmm. no reason i guess why those also in that part can't Go. I'm trying to think. I think what I'm trying to say is whether there's a possibility of the negativity of that history finding a way within the national identity now to be turned into something positive, which is maybe an argument for what we think of as diversity. You know, in that respect. Yeah. um, You know what I mean. And um, and so I'm just trying to hark back to what you were saying, Colter, about um, or was it? I can't think. Should we brought it up about how much that echoes into other countries. Because if mm-hmm. you think about it in terms of moral legacy, then that's quite a strong argument to be made with with reference to specific places, you know, potentially. You know, mm-hmm. and then how broad how broadly you want to take that in the most broadest sense you get into something closer to the American ideal. But mm-hmm. then but then, you know, somewhere like, you know, other countries where be, whereby that might be, if they don't have that form of maybe, I'm sure every, every country has variations of the form of that sort of moral legacy in some respect, you know, um, maybe in very small forms. But 
it, I guess the question is then how broadly you feel like you need countries need to prescribe to what we feel is a sort of the broadest moral case for diverse um, nationhood, you know, whether yeah. there is an argument to be made beyond those ideas which are based in colonialism and or slavery, you know, that there is a, a that, that sort of sense of sort of heritage based wealth, power, inequality, that dynamic is one that informs the requirement to turn that around and to make it more communal. I find that quite a, a persuasive argument. It seems a very humane argument to me. And then I, I personally buy into the broader one, which you find in the American idea, of something just that being a broad basis for a, com mm. a common cause. But uh, it's, you know, as to whether uh, like a smaller country with less of that legacy um, could understand you know, operates on that basis, or just individual citizens, because, you know, I've got to jump inside their head, seeing you know, like, it's, you know, the, the human function of otherness is a weird one, isn't it? It's a weird thing. I think that's mm -hmm. a universal conundrum, <laughs> you know, yeah. everyone, everyone, everyone others other people, if they look a bit different, then that's, that's also another totally. of, the, of the way history has rolled out. We're in a very unique place now over the past hundred years, where suddenly everyone can see everyone, or in the last 20 years, particularly, you know, everyone can see everyone all the time in some capacity. Yeah. Whereas beforehand, the other was something that might show itself or was there in dreams and visions or whatever. But it was rare that it, what you determined to be other actually turned up on your doorstep, you know. And so, do you know, a very wide reaching um, comment, you know, as to how, like, the function for otherness obviously is present everywhere, but how far you can persuade people that don't have maybe what you might argue is a moral legacy to sort of that was involved with that and the exploitation of it, whether you could that that is a common enough, broad and enough right idea for everyone's national identity. I guess I find that, I mean, I feel like it could be, you know? Yeah. I mean, and that just feels like a possible good thing to me, but I, it's, it's you know, it's, it's tricky, isn't it? You know, when you, I mean, if you think about it is, countries, but if like, you're looking in Nepal, you know, yeah, yeah but there's, funny, there's no chance that none of these places have, have been touched or have not been touched or have not perpetrated some form of conquering colonization, something like that. Because I just, and I'm kind of extrapolating here, but if I'm thinking about it in the places that I know, I know like very little about South American and like uh, Central American history, but from the little that Pete has told me about, like I know that there was empire building that happened there. Yeah. I know a good bit about European history and about Middle Eastern history. And you can just, I mean, like, specifically around the Mediterranean, it is like, it goes from, like, you know, Egypt to Babylon to Assyria to Persia to uh, the Macedonian Empire to, uh, you know, to the Roman Empire to the Byzantine Empire, which is just the Roman Empire to the Ottoman Empire. And I'm like, okay, so, like, how many of these places, like, you know, how many different times has Baghdad been some been a part something of something? Else. Yeah, uh, and it's like, you know, it just it's, over time, it's like I yes, don't know. Yes, of course. Or human history is yeah. itself one of great multiplicity. But, but the, um, you know, I think the, uh, I think what I'm getting, I, mean, I couldn't agree with you more. It's so like, like what makes personal, Nepal that's my Nepal personal position. Now. That's my yeah, thing. Because exactly. like, I know Mongolia yeah. took over Nepal at some point in time because yeah. Genghis Khan in like the whenever it was 1300s, 1100s, yeah. like 1300s, 1300s took over all of Asia. You know, and well, it's well, like, I think, yeah. so when well, was Nepal? Ending, when, yeah. when, exactly, what makes yeah. Nepal Nepal? What makes no, exactly. it rock and roll? Uh, no, and you for, can do these DNA tests to see how multiple, multiple, multiplicitous we all are in that respect. You know. Yeah. Well, and, and that um, was the that was the case for South America too. Like yeah. that was the the big thing about like the Inca. 
right? Yeah. Like they had a road, the Inca road that spanned from Peru to the bottom of South America. Mm-hmm. That was like, I mean, was there, uh, it, I mean, it was just in the, in the, the most basic version of empire mm-hmm. in that, like, they were like, we technically have this path yeah, and we own it. And it's like, okay, yep. maybe you have uh, one person for every mm-hmm. thousand miles or whatever. But, like, they, the idea of, of, of empire... It's the same idea as the ancient... So, like, we're dealing with a very... Like, the British Empire was probably the only modern empire. Like, the way we think of the way the British Empire worked is completely different from the way that, like, Alexander the Great's empire worked, where he came, he beat your army and said, All right, this is, this now. is mine now. And yeah. then I'm going yeah. to the next yeah. town. Yeah. And, like... That well, like that's like a totally you know the the exportation of wealth is I mean well not that no I mean it did definitely happen like well, it was a to, it's so yeah 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 the Maya definitely and then they that. said you will now be giving us tribute yeah or we're coming back the Aztec yeah, yeah. yeah exactly like and the lessons of history probably are all across the world in a far broader sense than our like, little brains like at the, uh, currently are fully aware of is probably one of endless sort of destruction invasion <laughs> you know yeah. like, like, mutual thievery you know like you know, human beings being savage and all that stuff and it's only you know, you probably the broad argument is you know, post enlightenment that we've tried to ameliorate those impulses or find broader ways to try and deal with them, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and now we just have the ravages of capitalism and obviously there's yeah. civil warfare, blah blah blah. But you know, I guess the question is of course not about whether that has happened or not and how broad and certainly, you know, I've just voiced one of the arguments of knocking around which is there's there being a form of a moral case in terms of more recent examples of that those forms of exploitation, you know, in terms of how to deal with those more immediate legacies. And surely that is the longest legacy of everything all over the world. And if there's a way for us all to tap into that, we might understand it. But, like the, you know, but the immediate practical question is, you know, it's like even more localized questions and things like gentrification, isn't it? It's about questions of speed, you know, and yeah. about mm-hmm. how people live well, in their communities and feel like that which is theirs or they feel is home both can be welcome to others whilst retaining what they this i mean this is just the argument you hear do you know what yeah. i mean, I mean I've, come, I've spent much of my life in huge metropolitan cities so i'm just used to there being like an endless blend of everything all the time and i find that yeah. kind of a beautiful thing but you know the argument you hear and certainly around the brexit argument you heard it all the time you know it was something along that which was pace of change not that yeah. i don't like well, i don't like other people but about pace of change and about how that has that the fundamental dynamic of keeping like some type of identity exactly that we of, of course all identity to. is exactly of course all identity is endlessly fluid and that's one of the whole things about identity politics of course is that it projects an idea of identity being somehow something very finite and brittle yeah you know, but but you know but the more interesting side of that is probably in the realms of what how way people talk about sexuality or gender identity the ideas of fluidity of self or you know you take that into the national sphere and that becomes a very interesting realm but it's like but you know a psychologist would tell you like straight up you know particularly a depth psychologist you don't want massive change to happen immediately because it's really gnarly yeah, yeah. well that's that's <laughs> like, you know like that's not a good thing that's you know, like, the idea Eckhart, of Eckhart like Eckhart Tolle might have like lost everything in a moment and then but then he had to sit on a fucking bench for five years to get to deal with it yeah. you know what I mean like well, the general lesson is always like, take your time well I think that's that's you know? why I mean like we're saying every every nation that every group of people that could as far as I've ever learned in any history has attempted to conquer or colonize or whatever but I think that's why the European 
uh, you know, conquistadors and colonizing and all of that stuff is so is like the archetype for it is because it happened at the time in history that it happened in and they were capable of inf- of inflicting or carrying out that it. that yeah, thing yeah, yeah. so quickly yeah that i mean that's why that's why they are the colonizers is mm-hmm. not because anyone else didn't do it it's because at the time that it happened and the way they were able to carry it out was so fast they just had cannons and, so and muskets and large ships mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's this there's this crazy figure um in and in the southern, late 1800s and early 20th century you yeah know, britain just had modern technology yeah well in in the way like in the i guess it was in south america or central america probably that there's some figure that like in the span of I forget exactly something so much very short amount of time like 8 months or something the spanish were responsible through like you know direct conquer and disease were responsible for wiping out 2 million native central americans mm-hmm. which is had never been possible before mm-hmm. you know like the the it's like mm-hmm. your gentrification thing is the speed at which they could inflict their change was a, a, apocalyptic i mean yeah. it just had never mm-hmm. ever been yeah, yeah, possible yeah, yeah. or see i mean even people like alexander or genghis khan people who are very very you know even did it quickly for their time yeah couldn't do that no like that is new and that is like a, a, well, a, it was a different thing they were thing. fighting other armies yeah you know it was a totally different type of conquering it was yeah. fighting an army well, yeah it's saying an- announcing your intentions. Everybody was aware of who each other was. Like it wasn't just like these new people showed up. They and, look weird, yeah. and we're all dying now. Yeah, it was like a happening? you know, Persia was you know keenly aware of what Greece was. It wanted to take it over, and then yeah. Alexander, you know, and then you know the all the Thermopylae, everything, everything got repelled, and then Alexander was like, "Well, I'm going to take Persia over now." Cool. Yeah. They knew what they were. Like, you know, that was not a... It, w- it was a totally different fight. It's yeah. a... Yeah. Well, yes. I think the question... But the question of speed in, in that respect, you know, like the, yeah, the older examples are, was, you know, one of totality of warfare, you know, that there was a sort of spectrum of human life, you know, got the divine right of possessing things, you know, in terms of yeah. you know, the structures of power in that time. And now, of course, ideas apart from... Obviously, that still exists. Manifest destiny, baby. World, you know, manifest mm-hmm. destiny, all those things. Certainly, I think broadly the idea around those things now is obviously what you hear being discussed is about, you know, the the, the migrant. The idea of migration is is all about either asylum or economy. You know, maybe as a result of localized difficulty of warfare in the terms we've just been talking about. But um, you know, people wanting to come because their, their lives are at risk, or also but seeking a better form of life, and that's yeah. about the world, and that's about wealth morality of a wealth gap you know and a poverty mm-hmm. gap and that's a very i mean it's not a modern argument those things have been around for centuries you know people have moved to try and yeah. um, for millennia to have a better quality of life that's the basis of movement you know for, has been around there forever but yeah. you know the idea of the idea of social change, mobility and stuff is kind of a, is, modern, is a relatively modern concept yeah. yeah you know as in like i'm going to america it's the land of opportunity because i've seen it on the television i can live in a big yeah. town but that still comes from like or whatever that still comes from like the 
the OG nomadic thing. It's like I got to move over here because this is where the good animals are at. Yeah, yeah this is where yeah, the water is at. Like I gotta, uh, gotta keep right. it. Yeah, it's like it's, it's a human the, impulse, the, and also the, the human impulse. Uh, yeah. Philosophical terminology of it, sure. I think, is yeah, modern. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's yeah. a and, modern creation of uh, you know of philo- of yeah philosophy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm just saying it's just it's still based on that original yeah. biological need to to get gotta yeah. move. I gotta keep going. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. And I like you know now one of the resources better is feeling well. better about your yeah, like now totally. It's some it's of the not out of necessity as much as uh, well. I guess to, sometimes it is necessity. Yeah. Uh, totally. And it can't. I think that like status, like social status. Yeah. And I'm not saying this in like a social status, like how many likes I get on Instagram. Yeah, I, like, I was thinking more of social that, status but, yeah. of being. Um, of, of being like, feeling basic equal respect or, or something like dignified yeah. or something is you know it, it affects your your yeah. health and it's your a necessity. Like mental health and stuff so totally. it is a necessity at this yeah. point in time so it's like leaving yeah. uh you know that's why people leave persecution and yeah. stuff there's no yeah, cats totally. in america yeah 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 Everybody, I, I think <laughs> casting casting over to the states again i think what you're you know what we're witnessing there, what makes it so uniquely interesting, is that is the is that clash between, you know, pace of change is such an interesting idea in the states because my experience is that it's a place where things happen quickly. You know, yep. well, it's particularly New York City. Obviously, it doesn't probably. I imagine in the depths of Wisconsin, it's probably a bit different. But um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> in the mountains of North Carolina, but. It, it, as a nation, the idea of new nationhood um, is one that has, and the idea of the ideas behind the American dream is it, it has an engine that sort of dictates a certain psychology of movement and you know the hunger of success, wealth, you know, building yourself up, whether whatever that comes from, that's very present there. And so it's intriguing to encounter the idea again. What you're seeing, and certainly on the right, you know, the anti-immigration rhetoric. Um, about what national identity seems to mean to so many people in the States, because I think it is a sort of clash of civilizations moment, isn't it, really? Because, like, founding documents, you know, sort of specify things for all people. But, mm-hmm. of course, all, all nations in, are immovable feasts and evolve in time. But I think, you know, I always think of it, and actually I think the same thing is happening in the UK with Brexit in some capacity. It's a similar echo. That's why I think there's mm-hmm. such similar moments, is that what you're seeing is the fabric of, like the belief system of the country is, you know, people, you might, you know, there's, it's like that idea, isn't it, in the US of like the, the, the Supreme, the, a court judge, a Supreme Court judge who is what they call an originalist, you know, mm-hmm. that's a very interesting idea because it's like what was actually meant when they wrote this thing which was for all people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that weird idea which is like, yes, well, it may say freedom of religion, but actually you can make a really strong argument that just meant freedom to practice certain forms of Protestant Christianity because that's what they mostly all were, you know, and that, and, Broadly, that might be true, but the doc- it still says freedom for all religions. And so, what, you know, the original arc and shape of the nation is probably coming to a position where it has to evolve out of that through sheer necessity. You know, it's, yeah. it's a process of evolution. But it's one I feel that is very unique um, to the fabric of what the state is and what it proposes mm-hmm. itself to be. You know, it's a looking in the mirror moment, isn't it, in that respect? Mm-hmm. And um, a very profound one, probably, and quite an aggressive one as a result. Um, and I think there's something similar happening in the UK. It's a bit like, well... Who are we? Where do we come from? Particularly because the you know the, the Brexit idea and so many so much of the rhetoric about it is obviously taking back sovereignty um, from this non, the idea of the non democratic EU. But so much of it is couched in sort of old empirical terms, you know, like yeah. old ideas of Great Britain and sort of 
you know, that we'll be fine on the high seas by ourselves. And it's a sort of dreamy, sort of misty-spired like, idea of something. We have the spirit of Horatio Nelson to protect us. Yeah, we need nothing thing, else. You know, but it's easy to joke about, and it's kind of worth joking about, because in some respects it's very silly. But also, don't, you can't discount it, because it has... In in that funny way, like it, mockery is easy, and I'm I'm quite e- it's easy to mock that, and I'll be the first to mock yeah. it actually. But it's also worth taking seriously in a way because I think what it, it what it resonates with, and I think in a similar thing is what's happening in the states as well. You know, it's old ideas of nationhood. It's like yeah. you know dreams of dreams of a nation. You know what people have been brought to believe and taught a certain thing is. You know, and I think it might be possible that that two things can be true. Yeah. You know, that you can find pride in aspects of what was maybe negative. There, maybe there was a more broadly negative aspects to... There are definitely more broadly huge, massive, in, intensely negative aspects to British empirical history and American history within the States as well. But, you know, it's surely it's possible to be able to find the positives within those... You know, because history is complex in that respect. And yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. worth trying to engage with those maybe out-of-date ideas that people still cling on to and to find those things which maybe are worth holding on to or at least coming to understand, you know, in order to not for that not to be shut out. Yeah. Because I think it's easy to tease. I'll be the first to tease, but I just wonder at times, you know, I often find myself thinking, I'm the first person to piss out Jacob Rees-Mogg, do you know what I mean? Because he's a massive clown um, in so many ways. And yeah. what he personifies, I think, is something really old and ridiculous. But there are people who espouse something not... A, that far removed from him who have a very nostalgic idea of a sort of Englishness not which not all of it is necessarily negative do you because, know what I mean and you have to, you have to weed that out time you know what I mean? we... without shaming it all do you know what I mean yeah you know and where well and like there is a there is obviously nuance to it because it's like you have to it's like it then there's just no then you either abolish all culture because it's like what makes the cultures that are coming in and them having like retaining their culture was like is exactly. that okay? Yeah. Because yeah, it's not like be, if you can't, if you can't those be, cultures are not going to be idealized either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're not so, going to be I mean? perfect like, angelic um, cultural histories in themselves. Yeah. you know that's it's ludicrous to even think like that. I mean, it just doesn't reflect any humanity whatsoever. Well, I, th- you know? I think I think I mean this this is going to sound like a little bit of low hanging fruit maybe, but like I, I think it's low hanging fruit. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's like I mean, it's kind of like me and Coulter had a long debate the other day about there was this article uh, Native Americans owned slaves, like certain of like the, the quote five civilized tribes um, owned slaves, or at least could own slaves. I guess is more appropriate. And um, anyways, I, I only bring that up to say it's important to to try your best to learn those things, be aware of the negative stuff. And also, and, and then I think that allows you to see the good stuff and say like, "This yeah. is good," but you have to, in order to do that, I think it's it's equally important to say, "I see the good stuff. Mm-hmm. These things are worth being proud of. Mm-hmm. These things are not." Yeah, yeah. Um, you can't. It's, it's you, a bit like it's a bit like that thing of prescribing. It's perfectly possible to look back at historical figures who said horrific things. Yeah, and be like, "That's inane," but also to and ridiculous and potentially nasty. Yeah. But but you know, and then but to see a broader picture of history where a lot of those things were considered to be, you know, common parlance and not odd. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's and we don't even con- have to excuse that. To con- yeah, I think you just to condemn it from perspective, and it is easy. And I, I have no problem with that a lot of the time. Yeah, I do too. Opinion, you know what well, I mean. But at the same time, it is possible. It's like the spirit of sanity is it? The possibility to hold two oppositions in your mind at once. To go, that's awful. 
It's like yeah. at the moment, there was a really interesting debate went on recently in the UK, like some students in a student union painted over the poem If by Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. Whatever you think of that poem, right? You know, they painted it over with a poem by Maya Angelou, another really amazing poet. Now, um, Kipling is like a famous, like was pro-empire, famously so. You know? Yeah. And he like wrote a very famous story or piece of non-fiction. I can't remember what's one, fiction or non-fiction called The White Man's Burden. <laughs> um, you know, in many respects, his opinions are kind of obsessed absurd you know mm-hmm. you read now you like it's absurd like you're an absurd person but at the same time he had he had the capacity to write some very nuanced and sort of beautiful poetry and you know and Ricky tabby yeah you know what i mean it's like it's the jungle book uh, jungle you know book. all these things are kind of absurd, absurd you know i have no issue like reading the white man's blood and being like this is absolutely ridiculous and kind of nasty in many respects but it's like there's a potential to be able to have a, to, to look at it and to say that and to believe it and mm-hmm. to say that within the context of his time, he can also find be able to sit within, you know, other aspects of human nature, which we know, which we still think are good and positive. Yeah, you know, it's it's that's a paradox to the modern mind, you know. But that's yeah. just, that's surely a nature of where we are well, in history more than it's, it's where we were then. You know, I mean, as yeah. our friend Christian said, uh, I, mean, I don't find it. I, I don't have a problem reading the one, you know, like condemning those aspects of himself. Like yeah. one of my favorite favorite poets is a guy called Philip Larkin, who I think has a capacity to write extraordinarily beautiful and transcendent lyric poetry but then there's a couple of pieces by him and there's like some weird slightly pervy literature when he was a young man mm-hmm. you know there's a couple of slightly jingoistic nationalistic poems as well and his like borderline racist arguably racist and that's like that shit's ugly and it's just like you know weird weird and he had a nasty side to him but he also mm-hmm. had the capacity for great beauty and yeah. that sort of complexity well we're seeing that and arguably that's an argument that's going on across all cultures at the moment with the me too movement as well is how much you're willing to permit or allow or whether how much you have to contextualize those things in order to accept those perspectives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think there's a broad, there's a broader lesson there. I think what I'm trying to get in this long-winded um, just digression is like there's a lesson in that in how we go about trying to come to terms with ideas of assimilation, national identity, you know, immigration on both sides. That we that there's a level of negativity and positive positivity that has yeah. to be embraced in both. You know what I mean? In order to have a fully Really humane understanding of what mm-hmm. that situation is instead of idealizing one over the other you know in the broadest possible terms yeah i mean yeah I, I agree i mean i think that's that's the tricky part with the with all of the social media and all of the information and stuff that we have is i i think we as like biologically and, and culturally like as humans we have this like deep desire to shit on people well, no, no, but better than we want things. We want an answer. Yeah. Right. We like want we everything want, to be black and white. Yes. We want things, something to be good and something yeah. to be bad. We want those things to just be true. Mm-hmm. Um, and very few, very like, extremely few things in the world are that mm-hmm. to the point mm-hmm. where it's easier to say nothing is that. Yeah. Um, at least as far as like the human world is concerned. And I think that's why, you know, we're seeing this like the outrage culture that we have now is we've talked about this a lot. And like there are things and most of them are legitimate things to be upset about. Mm -hmm. But I think people, you know, I'll just say like America, if you can say that is like I think we're in a constant state of confusion because we want good people to be good. We want bad people to be bad. Mm-hmm. We want zero crossover. Yeah. And so when they do crossover, which every single human being of all time has done, oh, must we be, bug he's out. He's the bad one. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we bug out. We like, cannot well, handle the fact that you know Martin Luther King Jr. is incredible. He's a great guy. Did 
so much good for the world was also cheating on his wife. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have a hard time bridging those things. Like, the Cosby Show time. isn't good anymore. It's not. Yeah. Impo- it's not important. Yeah, what and it's it like, did for America isn't important. It's like yeah, that's it's like, stupid to think things like. That. Yeah, it doesn't. It, yeah, and also, well, it, what's challenging, isn't it? Of course, is because so much of it is seen through. Um, or maybe I think probably the, the simplest, well, not the simplest, the the, the broadest way to put it, but is it for many people in states and elsewhere all over the world, is that so many of these things or the framework of looking at the world is often seen through maybe a simplistic, um, uh, religious context in terms of what yeah. morality stands for and the broadest idea of good and bad. Do you know well, that mean? that and and that sort of binary idea of and that, and I think a lot for me, I've certainly that's where I'm finding myself most fascinated in engaging with. The Wales window and the idea of cultural representations of, uh, yeah. you know, fundamental images of that which re- represents, uh, you know, good, good, the good triumphing over evil, or what it is, what ideas well, of redemption and suffering, you know, for those who are other or those who are not, that you encounter often the utilization of the broadest and the most simplest ideas of um, sort of universal morality in order to justify. Um, you know, clearly immoral things, but also, but then there's, but also on a more subtle level, an unwillingness to what you just said, essentially, an unwillingness to look at yeah. like, the broad struggle complexity within an individual, or to use that as a get-out clause for mm-hmm. those things. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Um, and to say that I have to, you know, ignore the other, or actually, I would say, I mean, I always find the most convincing case, which is from a depth sort of psychological perspective, is that you know, things like you know, racism or othering is. It's more indicative of those things which you can't uh, acknowledge in yourself. And so it's something yeah. that you project outwards, that your own otherness is too frightening to you or that which you contain. And so it's much easier to demonize and hate on others, you know, and that's mm-hmm. like a fundamental. I think that's partly why it's a function and you get into Woody Territory saying um, it's more prescribed to more than the others. You know what I mean? That's why yeah. I, I feel like it, it's something that can resonate widely and pathetically on a broad basis. But I think that simplicity of, worldview of saying that it's nothing to do with me you know yeah. i don't contain these things because i'm just i'm just a good person you know, that idea is sort of it's a slightly purified it's a very sort of dogmatic almost slightly evangelical worldview and i don't yeah. just mean evangelical in a christian sense like a broad sort of you know rather extreme sense of sort of possessive morality yeah it's a it's an ignorance you know in terms well, it shows of a lack of basic, self-reflection a, a lack of self-reflection well, which is that everyone has the capacity for all these things and you have to it's an endless work yeah, you know, to sort of investigate well, like, that and to keep these things in check. You know? th- there's that like famous, uh, you know, at, at least like in like, the Christian world. Uh, you know, my, my pastor was talking about it recently. You know, where Paul's talking and he says, you know, he's like, I'm chained to this body of death, uh, and he says, uh, I the things I the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Um, where it's like the whole idea of like. You know this this guy Paul is you know one of like the heroes of of the New Testament right, and we get so again like culturally I, I have to remind myself all the time of that like okay like the best people by whatever your standard is will will have that duality to them so to say that they are bad because they've done something bad or that they're good because they've done something good. And and then be able to to to, swip, to swap those things whenever they do something good or whenever they do something bad, is like it's fundamentally crazy. naive it, it, in a way that yeah. like you you have it's like it's almost like 
you have to be delusional about who you are as a person. Like, you see people who jump on people who made tweets, like inappropriate joke tweets. Yeah. When they were like in high school or something like that, because that's something that's coming on now. Like, you know, people, like celebrities and, and, it's uh, completely mental. I mean, it's like, yeah, beyond and like that. authors and like, but think it, about the, th- the things that you joked about with your friends when you were 15. Oh, and I, think about if that was like, had a receipt on the internet or someone like oh, yeah. videotaped you or something. And you would be, and like, it's not even like you can have completely changed your mind and thought those things are like, like I don't, I don't think that it's okay to joke about those things. But people don't, people don't think that way. People think that they've always been the way they are, and that like, I don't know. Just the idea. I think a lot of people feel like either they've always been good or they can change, but other people can't yeah. change. Um, yeah. And I don't mean that you just let people get it. This is not a thing to say. Well, we should just give people like Roseanne a pass. It's like it's fine, you know, yeah. like what they said's fine. No, those things are but, bad. Like it's bad, and we can call it out for being bad. But just be. We need to be very careful for our own like souls and mental state yeah. in calling these people evil or saying that they're like in a way that absolves uh in a way yeah. that is not pointing the finger back at us and going okay what is it in society that i'm contributing to that is basically the same yeah. as this thing well, I mean, I, well I, it's the whole idea around what they call virtue signaling but you yeah know, it's another way another way of looking at that is that it's the utilization of morality for personal self-aggrandizement See, I, yeah i believe that people just, don't even they're uh, in general aren't aren't and, and me included sometimes aren't even really thinking about it because i do believe we're hardwired biologically to find good and to find bad like it's like a survival instinct be like i can eat this i cannot eat that period right we're trying Mm -hmm. to find those because those that's the simplest way to survive is to find something you know very very cut and dry it's the simplest way to survive and i think that's what's happening like in the social media world or in any of these other things is that like you know we're we're just constantly looking for either good or bad and that's Mm -hmm. it and as soon as someone gives us a reason to think they're good then they are good the second they give us a reason to think that they're bad they were never good and they were always bad you know like it 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 flips a hundred percent again this is across the culture generally people flip a hundred percent you know it's like one day someone will be a hero for the cause of whatever the cause is and then it comes out that they did something bad that is you know unquestionably immoral and and wrong and then it's like okay well they were never good they were always bad and you're just like mm. well i just don't it just shows it's just like it's just such a i mean it's just so naive you know yeah everything else i think the thing i'm i'm more surprised by in those circumstances is that when you see people like at a certain age and maturity leaping into those positions, because you just think like, "Wow, really? Like, come yeah. on. You know, like if I see someone saying that he's seventeen, I'm a bit like, okay, you know, because I, I could be like a, a yeah, sure, tiresome, a, a tiresome sort of teenager in that respect. Of course, <laughs> yeah, we, we, like, we oh, all were. I mean, in front of me, I'm thirty-eight. I'm not old and wise. I'm got a lot of things still to learn. God, Jesus Christ, you know, I feel like innocent and naive in so many things in my life, and uh, I feel like I've got a lot to learn, but. Um, Certainly, one of those aspects you can claim, you know, as you sort of totter along desperately in this world, is that you start to, you know, you, you encounter those aspects of yourself um, uh, that you try to sort of understand why you act in certain ways, and you're trying to organise that, you know, because you understand what's good and 
Yeah. You can be surprised by negative aspects of yourself when they can arise and you know, those things are all, it's just, that's, that's just humanity, man. And it's just, yeah, that's, that's the you know, bottom actually line. The, the, the self-awareness of that is the most important thing. Like, you know, yeah. and understanding from a, I think in a funny sort of way, it's like that old idea that you just mentioned Martin Luther King, you know, he cheated on his wife, bad thing. Martin, not good. Yeah. Know, but there's also a truth that sometimes one in, comes to truly understand um, certain moral lessons as when you have uh, yourself transgress yeah yeah i mean you know what i mean it's like now i know what that means yeah because you experience the after effects of that you know in a moral sense and those things sometimes can be the ones awakening to mm -hmm. moral sense yeah that yeah sense. now obviously those are the things of childhood you know what i mean you steal something when you're a kid or whatever and your parents are the people who will imbue that to your teachers you know, but then there are also more nuanced explorations of that when you grow up. You know, sometimes all the certain things about it are in the business of adulthood, and you only discover them being an adult. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, you can learn lessons or know them verbally, or you've been told them. But you know, and sometimes that's enough to you know to for you to to know not to do. But sometimes in subtle ways, you realise you've let someone down, or you know, in all sorts of ways. And it's only through the experiencing that you come, you you, you realise why those things are fundamental lessons, and that's how you grow. Yeah. You know, so to to sort of Reject this idea that someone when they were twenty three did this on a tweet, you know, and, and ergo they are this. It just seems, it seems, ins I just can't. It just seems so yeah. insane. You know, I just can't mm -hmm. even contain it. I feel like I fall off my chair every time I read one of those. It seems like bananas. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. I uh, I don't know. I, I honestly think so much of it is the amount of input that we're getting all the time, the access to all of the information, and like. In a lot of ways, there's like some sort of biological evolution that needs to occur in order for us to be able to like mentally deal or emotionally deal with the amount of like social input that we have now. Because again, to like the colonization, the speed of colonization conversation, I think the speed at which we have gone from the internet being a thing where you could like, you know, whatever it was in the late 90s, you know, you, you do fairly basic things to now it being so in our lives so quickly is like is is frying the hardware like that's that's the yeah. way i feel about it sometimes but you can only do like people can only do so much you know and some people are more resilient than others and some people have more space than others you know it's there's a variability of i don't know genes are probably i guess you know mm -hmm. but, um, yeah but you know, well, there's another aspect of that, which is, you know, is that you get that sort of constant harping online if you're not aware of a further ramification of a particular moral argument. You know, like, or when you see people criticising cultural artefacts, works of art, because they haven't taken in another perspective. You're like, well, it's not no good because they didn't consider this. Yeah. Or, you know, it's that sort of attitude when you just think, well, you know what, like, people can't take, maybe they don't know that much about that thing. Or yeah. it can only... But a story is a story sometimes, you know, and then so if you want a story to be another story, write a story now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay too, <laughs> you know. Like it's easy, it's, it's, that's all getting on the high horse. It's, it's, but I think that's another echo. Those things are another echo of what we were talking about earlier, which is, or just more recently earlier, it's that sense of, it's a sort of, it has a, it, there's a slight religious flavor to that, and I mean in the most extreme sense, not mm -hmm. in the more nuanced sense of something along people taking on this, like arbiter position of a sort of universal morality, which is mm. a sort of punishing people for not having a moral breadth which they feel they contain. Yeah, you know, and and that's very weird because, like, you know, you could that's something you just have to continue to fight towards and and, and to try and 
you know, say that you know better at whatever stage you are, or to say that it's really everyone wants to be better, you know, apart from mm-hmm. sociopaths, I presume. But even they probably think they're getting better at what they do. You know what I mean? It just seems very weird, like, to, yeah. to get into that mm-hmm. position where you're like future shaming people for not having got to where everyone theoretically should be in some idealized utopian universe. And like, that leads me rather than maybe starting back to where we began, which is one I think one of the fundamentally so most fascinating things about American identity is that the constitution is a utopian document in that respect. Yeah. It's yeah. about, isn't it? And that is, I think, that brings its own burden. Mm-hmm. I, as an outsider, I feel like it's a beautiful thing, but it also brings its own burden because it's a sort of, it's like, it's like what my mum once said about marriage, that she said, what makes it so beautiful is you're kind of committing to something impossible on a daily basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember thinking that was a very profound and interesting thing because somebody's not married, you know, <laughs> I was like, wow. And uh, the beauty of it is like, committing to something uh, it's the endless commitment you, know, you might never get but it's that which gives it value and i think the american constitution for me I, when i've looked at it i always feel it has a similar tone which is a sort of utopian ideal but it has a burden feeling that you're having to prescribe to something that idealized all the time you know it's and i don't know is that a weight that's worth carrying and it's hard for me to answer as an outsider mm. well roll tied to that yeah that's a question to leave on. We'll pick that one up next week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> next week we'll be interviewing constitutional specialists from across the spectrum. Yeah, that's right. We, uh, I want to do something new here. What do we do? We have any recommendations? Book recommendations? Uh, I think we should each do a book, movie, music, uh, yes. whatever. Yes, yes, yes. I'll start us off. Yeah, again, I'm going to steal Pete's. Uh, there you are. Because uh, there you I saw are. it first. Uh, I saw saw you, so sorry to bother you recently. That movie was wild. And if anybody's listening and hasn't seen it, do not read anything about it. Just go see it. You can watch the trailer. I mean, the trailer doesn't. Dude, when Han like, Solo yeah. dies, it, yeah, when it's Han Solo so dies, crazy. it's so wild. When uh, it turns out Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was a big. Anyway, sorry to bother you. Really good. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield is in it from uh, Atlanta and Get Out fame, and uh, oh, yeah, he is in Get Out. Oh too. yeah, he's yeah. the guy who that. plays the he plays the play, he plays the guy who in Get Out is goes missing at the start, right? Yeah, like yeah. the yeah. Yeah, I thought I recognized him. I thought I recognized him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. I second that recommendation. Tessa Thompson's in it. Uh, uh, Stephen Young uh, from Walking Dead. Nope. Uh, Danny Glover. Oh yeah, from being Danny Glover. Just good. Just watch it. Good. He actually in the movie says, "I'm too old for this shit." <laughs> oh, I forgot that. about that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's contractually in yeah. uh, Danny Glover's. Oh yeah. It's like Arnie with yeah, um, yeah. I'll be back. Do what? I'll be back. It's like with Arnie. Oh I'll yeah, be yeah. Back. Oh yeah. I, I cracked up when he said that. I'm getting too old for this <laughs> shit. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, it was a great movie. It was it actually kind of freaked me out. It was pretty intense. I don't know how much I enjoyed it, honestly. I think uh, it was very good. Yeah, I I mean, like, enjoy is a weird word yeah. to say. Well, no, I mean, it, you'll definitely, it is, it's wild. Yeah. Army Hammer, isn't it? Uh, what a name. Is a great name. Yeah. Um, uh, Pete, you have a recommendation? How? Um, um, what do I have a recommendation? Sure. Springing this on you late. I'll tell you no, what. No, it's all right. I have, I have one. I'll, I'll just, I'll recommend this. Not that it's even that new, really, but I've been listening to. Oh man, now I'm gonna. Uh, what's it called? Hold on, I'm just blanking wow. here. The new, the newest, I think, came out last year. The newest War on Drugs 
record, A Different Understanding. Okay. I think it came out last year. I don't know. That's just what I've been listening to lately. I haven't listened it's to it. good. Recently. I need to check it out. It's good. And um, I would actually, I'll just on a slightly, maybe on a book tip, I've been, um, I was given for my birthday, and I've been starting to potter my way through, and I use the word potter on purpose, um, a book called uh, Wanderlust by the essayist Rebecca Solnit, which I would hardly recommend so far. All about the joys of walking in a variety of ways. Walking All around. right. Walk a bit. Uh, walk a bit. Walk a bit. I just said walk about in a in a really Australian a fake uh, a fake Australian you were accent. Saying something in Arabic. A walk a bit. Walk a bit. Uh, yeah, it's about right. the sort of um, psychological, uh, spiritual, literal, physical benefits of the walk, of what it is to walk and wander, which I'm a big fan of. Doing. So yeah, I'll give a, a, a little nudge Good. towards the the soul knit in that respect. Well, roll, roll. That worked perfectly. Cool. A movie, an album, and a book. Yeah. How about that? I knew how I was going to do books. So ingest I just all even, of them at the same time. He's one of those time. reading types. Yeah. Yeah, I do a lot to read there. He likes reading them books, some liberal books. I'm reading books all day. You know, that's, that's how they spread liberalism. You know that, yeah, right? Books. Books. Yeah, books. College. Yeah. That's how like they burn those books. Yeah. Uh, that's how they do it. <laughs> they don't tell you that in the in the schools, but yeah, that's how they do it. That's why I don't read books. Yeah. I ain't trying to get infected like that. Obama wrote them all. That's right. <laughs> With George Soros' money. Obama wrote all of them. All right. It's so funny because when you guys, when you, you guys drop into that, I always feel like I want to join in. As soon as I do, I just feel, it just feels wrong. So. No, man, drop, do yeah, it. You can do it. I mean, we, we go into our horrible, like, hoity-toity English accent or mm-hmm. Cockney accent or attempt at it. I do it. We dro- we drop into we all drop into well maybe just the two of us drop into Australian accents <laughs> only for a couple like, of phrases though I can only say a few phrases in in Australian oh, words sorry to all our Australian listeners thank you for hanging with us because we I Dude, feel like we make fun of you Australians been riding hard though yeah. they've been doing good maybe we don't I mean like it it only comes from love I love Australia it's yeah. a great place I think I feel like Australians are hard to offend I don't know why I feel that way yeah but I just I I believe it I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, they're pretty Email hardy, us. man. They're, they're piss takers. They're, 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 yeah. Email us if you if you differ, or just send us some love. Yeah, um, man. We will, one of these days we will do uh, we'll do some listener feedback on an episode. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll discuss. Uh, yeah, well, I would like some more things. of that. We got a, we got a cut. We've got a few in the the old email. But if mm-hmm. you want to send mm-hmm. in more, you can catch us at firescapepod at gmail dot com or. At Fire Pod on all of the social media accounts that matter. We're, I don't yeah. think we're on, you know, the ones that don't. And if you're trying to buy liberal books, make sure to use our discount code, Buttheads, yeah. at any bookstore. Walk a bit. Any bookstore so will take the it. Fire Escape sent you. That's right. Uh, Buttheads. <laughs> They'll be like, uh, the Fire Escape. What? Mm-hmm. No, but you, if you tell them Buttheads with a Z, they will give you uh, 80% off of any book in any bookstore. Yep. You can find me at Culture Levi on the tweets and the Instagrams. You can find me on the Instagram, buttermilk underscore Pete. You can't find how. Nope. How when do you come back? I don't know, mate. You don't know? <laughs> yep. Tell the no, people. I just got, I got to write this play. Yeah. Well, right, uh, hey, tell old, tell old Papa Bobby that we uh, said happy birthday to him. I will, I will. He'll love The warmest of happy birthday uh, wishes. How do you say happy birthday in Welsh? Pepin Hapus, I think it is. Look at that, I should not think. That's the first thing that um, comes came out of my mouth. Um, but Hapus being happy, but um, 
is that it's like Penloyd Hackers, I think. Oh, Jesus, I'm probably showing my name. I'll take your word for it, man. Yeah. Yeah, Penbluith, Hackers or Penbluith, Hackers, something like that. Yeah. Well, there you are. Pen, Penbluith, happy <laughs> to, to Big Bad Bob. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, tune in next week. Yeah, man. Thanks, y'all. Cool. Bye. Okay. Bye. with the beer we got i mean the beer we got drank pretty good don't it the days are getting shorter and you can feel it in the air yes it's that time of year pumpkin is finally back at duncan it's the cozy you've been craving all summer long now in your cup at duncan pick up all of your pumpkin favorites like the signature pumpkin spice ice latte or a pumpkin ice coffee and bakery items like pumpkin donuts and muffins sip into something comfortable to celebrate the start of cozy season Use the Dunkin' app for contactless ordering. America runs on Dunkin'. Right now, switch your family to T-Mobile and get four lines for $25 a line with AutoPay and 5G access included on America's largest 5G network. So don't wait. Get unlimited and nationwide 5G access for the whole family for just $25 a line. Visit a T-Mobile store or T-Mobile.com today. Plus taxes and fees. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using over 50 gigs a month due to data prioritization. Video at 480p. Unlimited while on our network. Qualifying credit. Four plus lines required. Capable device required for 5G. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain features. See T-Mobile.com.